Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Hamdi Taba, the co-founder and CEO of Abwab. Abwab is an online learning platform that allows students to learn at their own pace, test themselves, and get ahead with expert tutors anytime and anywhere. And by offering short, engaging video lessons, visualized learning journeys, they're changing the way students learn outside the classroom. So I'm really excited to welcome Hamdi to the show. Welcome, Hamdi. Hi, Yasmin. How are you? Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> yes, likewise, likewise. So I'm excited to talk about Abwab, and especially uh, in this last year in the pandemic, as so many people are are working from home and also learning from home. So I'd love for you to just briefly share your value proposition in your words with our audience. What do you guys do? I know I mentioned it briefly, but how would you describe it? And what is sort of your differentiator in the market? Yeah, of course. Um, so Abwab is there to help students um, supplement their learning experience um, after school. So as you know, um, in this part of the world, um, students depend uh, significantly on tutoring. There are 160 million students between uh, Morocco and Pakistan. Um, and the amount of uh, spending on after-school tutoring is estimated to be at around $30 billion. And the problem is that families spend a, a pretty large proportion of their income on, on after-school tutoring. And you're talking around like 15 to 25%. So Abwab is there to solve this problem and offer students um, an online alternative that is much more efficient um, and um, enables um, access uh, for, for students across the region. Now, you've asked me about the value proposition and what we do, um, right? Yes. <laughs> um, essentially, students come in, um, they, they're able to view their entire um, curriculum that they're learning at school. So they select their grades um, and they select the subject that they wish to learn from. And then they view the entire um, learning journeys that they have to go through. So let's say I'm a seventh grader learning maths. Um, I come in, I select uh, grade seven maths, and I view the entire um, curriculum, essentially, uh, which is broken down into concept-based learning lessons. So I keep on taking bite-sized lessons, followed by assessments between each, so that I can keep on basically tracking my performance as a student and making sure that I'm learning uh, what... what um, the concepts that I'm supposed to learn. And then I can track all of my performance uh, through a personalized dashboard um, all the time. That's essentially like the, the basic core value proposition that we have. Wow. So um, it seems like it's like a personalized learning experience. And uh, is there is it all done online? Is there any aspect of it that is done kind of over the phone with a tutor to help uh, move people through that process? I guess, is there a managed service part of it or is it all just self-serve on the platform? Yeah, it's it's all self-served. And it, at the moment, it's like learn at your own pace. Um, so you come in and you consume um, as much as you want from the platform. You can jump between um, subjects and if there's something that you feel that you're weak at uh, you can go into it directly so the questions for that um, and uh, we have different levels of of getting tested you can practice you can solve quizzes or tests or exams or like final exams depending on like um how much you want to cover of, of um, the subject that you're learning um, and and obviously you can keep on doing it over and over again so at, at the moment it's completely at your own pace um, you can do it as you want 
I mean, we launched literally six weeks before the pandemic. Um, so we started with our uh, with our core product, um, and and from there, I mean, six weeks into the pandemic, we actually ended up collaborating with the Ministry of Education in Jordan uh, to support with the distance learning initiative. Um, and we were like a very very young startup at the time, uh, but ended up essentially teaching over a million students in a in a span of like three months. So we spent a good amount of time uh, doing that before going back to our offering of the, the core offering of Abwab of building essentially um, this experience that I'm talking about. Um, and on top of, because you have asked me about like, do, do I follow up with a tutor or like, um, is there some sort of um, management, let's say, of, of a student's experience? Um, following the, the, the basic uh, or like the core offering that we've built, um, a lot is coming on top of it. The longer term vision is that you would be able to experience an adaptive learning experience through the power of AI and machine learning, depending on um, your scores and your ability to learn. But even along the way, as we get towards that vision, um, the plan is uh, to build an ecosystem for students where they can come in, compete with other friends, interact, have scheduled sessions, um, reach out to certain tutors, get support, etc. Amazing. And so I want to talk a little bit about your journey towards starting this company, because previously you were the GM at Uber for the MENA region. And then before that, you established a, a specialty grocery store. And so I'm just curious, like, is it the entrepreneurial bug in you or did you want to tackle this specific problem? Okay, so I've started uh, my career in 2009, just after the credit crunch was happening. Um, essentially, I started a company in the F&B space called Dukan. Um, long story short, it was a series of failures and slaps in the face, um, but I've learned a lot. I ventured into a lot of things in the F&B space. In 2015, um, Uber were launching in the region. I genuinely didn't believe that Uber would succeed at the time, just felt that no one would get a car in, in a car with a stranger. Uh, but I ended up joining Uber in 2015 and was part of the team that was launching um, in Jordan and several countries in the region. And I've, I've, I just saw the, the growth um, of Uber and the impact on mobility that uh, we, were, we had at the time. And I spent five years with Uber doing that. Um, towards the end, I was managing a few uh, markets um, across MENA. And, uh, and all of that impact just got me thinking, if you could create that much impact on mobility through tech, imagine how much impact you could um, create on education. And in 2017, I took a course with Harvard Business School Online, and it was a life-changing experience. And I felt that it's extremely unfair that I represent probably less than less than one percent of the students um, in the region that get access to such quality education. So from there, I decided that I need to leave um, and and work on something that just makes the best quality education um, as affordable and as accessible to um, students across the MENA, Pakistan region. I would say. And what about um, the moment that you realized you had product market fit? Can you talk to us about the journey that you went on to get to that point? Like how long did it take for you to have the idea, build the product or build the early prototype and then have your first customer? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an ongoing iterative process. I don't think it ever ends uh, for a startup. It, it, this needs to keep on evolving. Um Obviously, when it's when when we I started with the idea, I was like, I just want to teach anything online, um, and I was thinking of literally anything that could you could learn online from like 
coding, marketing, whatever you, you want. And then re I realized that um, in, in order to find product market fit, you need to focus and look for a niche. And after conducting tons of interviews with students, parents, teachers, startup founders, educators, you name it, we realized that there's a major pain point in the K-12 segment, and we decided to design a product um, in that space. And we always go by the saying of Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, saying, if you're launching, uh, if, 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 you're la if you're not embarrassed to launch uh, your product, then you're launching too late. Um, and, and we've always been in the... In the, in the um, I mean, it, it's a bit it's a bit tough to practice this, uh, but if you get yourself to do it, I think it serves you a lot. Uh, we always release features and products in an MVP stage, and we just spend a lot of time with our students. And I know that if you read literature, this is something that you read all the time. Like, stay close to your to your customer, listen to them. Uh, but if you actually practice it and you do it, uh, it takes you a very long way. So that's how, that has been our philosophy throughout. Mm, I love that so much. And you guys plan to expand to other markets in the MENA region. You're in Jordan now, and where where else are you in the MENA region? Which countries do you support the most? So at the moment, we we have an office in Jordan and in Egypt. Uh, we have a full team in Egypt, uh, brilliant people creating uh, localized Egyptian content for students across Egypt. We also have a team um, on the ground in Pakistan uh, creating uh, content for the world's fifth most populous country with over 50 million students. Major, major need for an ed tech solution. Um, and uh, the team's already doing great stuff over there. Um, and then next is uh, to enter um, Iraq and Saudi Arabia, which we've kind of done a remote uh, pilot launch over there at the moment. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. That's so exciting. So can you talk to me about your priorities and how they've shifted based on where you're at in the product life cycle and also in the company life cycle? Like as you've grown, how do you think about like, where, where's your attention going as you're growing? And specifically when it comes to the investment space and, you know, how did you go from bootstrapping the company to, um, getting your first investment? Can you talk to us about that, that journey and, and, and also what your plans are for the future, if that's not the case? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a lot of questions in one question, but, but I'll try to answer them all. Um, I think on the funding side, we've been just very fortunate to be very well funded from very early on. Um, we managed to raise two and a half million dollars at like pre-seed stage, almost pre-product at the time. Um, and then we've raised another round of funding of five million dollars at the seed stage. Um, and now we're... Um, um, closing another round of funding. So that's on the investment side. Um, I think your other question was um, on product and how we've been looking at it. Um, look, I think the challenge um, in the ad tech space is that there are so many angles that you can approach it. You can come in and say, I want to help students solve questions. I want to help students ask questions. I want to create a tutoring marketplace. I want to generate content. Um, and all of them are like different doors to get you into solving the problems in ad tech uh, versus if you want to compare it to like Food delivery, for example, or ride sharing, it's it's kind of like a simple flow. You come in, you tap a button, you select what you want, and, and you get it delivered. Um, so having that context and thinking about ad tech, uh, when we started our product and we built the vision, we, we the first thing we wanted to do is to establish reliability and credibility with students. Um, 
And back at the time uh, with Uber, uh, Travis, uh, the former CEO and founder, used to say that if you want Uber to succeed in a city, um, you need to get a car in under two minutes. And if you can get, if someone can get a car in under two minutes in a city, everything else just becomes nice to have. So we took that analogy and started thinking of education. And we thought, how could we apply that into education? And we realized that creating content and assessments um, that deliver real learning outcomes and enable students to actually understand would probably serve as the core basic foundation. So that's how we started. Um, and we thought that on top of it, um, we know that we want to enable interaction. We want to introduce a social element to it. We want to introduce a gamification angle to the whole thing and build towards an adaptive learning component. So I think one of the other things we continuously talk about internally is that we don't know what we don't know. So we don't assume that we know exactly how the product is going to look like or what we're going to build. Uh, we just continuously, from that base that, that we started off with, we just like experiment and iterate and follow what students want um, in the long-term aim of creating an ecosystem that provides, uh, th that enables students basically to excel at school. Um, and that's our mission statement that I actually repeat every single uh, week for the team. Um, and obviously the definition of excelling for students can vary from passing the year to basically just graduating top of the class. Wow. So I want to talk about uh, how you deal with adversity because you know, the show is called Startup Confessional. So we want to go a little bit behind the scenes of what maybe we can't see in the external world, you know, what goes on in the minds um, and in the families and friends of the founders who create these companies. Because I think a lot of people have the impression that having a successful startup is easy um, or maybe not easy, but you know, it doesn't, it's all come, rosy. It's all rosy. It doesn't come with all the, the hard work, the iteration. And I think especially, you know, in the middle East um, because of a lot of the, the sort of infrastructure that exists there, you have to sort of either work with the infrastructure or create your own ecosystem. Right. So I'm super curious, like how you navigate that and how do you deal with, so specifically, how do you deal with adversity and how do you keep yourself motivated when you do face adversity? Yeah, I, I'll try to because you can talk a lot about this. Um, <laughs> I'll try to share like some of the key points that I faced. I think just like to, to uh, yeah, so when you mentioned like painting a rosy picture, I think one of the things that I think is very important to mention is it comes with a lot of hard work and I know it could sound like a cliche, but I was checking my WhatsApp messages with my wife around like 10 years ago. And I was like messages that I've sent 10 years ago. And I've realized that I used to send her messages at like 6 AM saying, Hey, I just left the house. Um, I'm off to work. Um, if you need anything, let me know. And I realized that I've actually been working hard nonstop for like more than 10 years. Um, and then like time really flies. Um, and and it never ends. So just now around the pandemic, the entire country was on lockdown. Um, no one was allowed to leave their house. And we were, we were tasked by the Ministry of Education to help the distance learning initiative. Um, and we were still working around the clock overnight. We actually had a hotel where the entire team was sleeping uh, so that we can work from very early morning until very late at night. And I would leave every day and, and come back every night. And obviously my wife would worry a lot about me going around in the midst of a pandemic and like there's COVID risk and you're just like working 24 seven and you might burn out. 
Um, and this is something that um, I realized that I've been doing straight for 10 years. I think that's one of them. Um, I think another piece of adversity, which I've come across um, maybe with my previous experience at Uber is, and I'm just going to talk about like my different experiences. Um, yeah, like one of the challenges I faced during my time at Uber is um, you're working in a kind of like gray area and you have a lot of challenges dealing with governments um, and having uh, requests to like pause the service overnight. Um, and uh, yeah, at at a time where like you have hundreds of thousands of uh, driver like riders relying on this service um, and dealing with all that mental pressure becomes very, very difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, I can give another example of starting my first company um, just straight out of university. Um, literally like no experience. Uh, you just, you get faced with all sorts of different like people problems, vendor problems, accounting problems, cash flow problems, management problems, um, theft problems, fraud, um, just like so many things that you you haven't actually learned at school or university. And all of a sudden they're, they're in your face and it's like slaps that you're getting all the time. Uh, but I think these things are, are what make you learn the most. And probably w- when you're in it, you're just like feeling really tired and devastated and drained. Uh, but when you come out of it, you realize that you've just learned so much. Mm, wow. And how do you keep yourself motivated? I mean, is that something that's an internal you know, compass for you? Or are there any tools or outside influences, maybe mentors, uh, guides who've supported you and helped you on your journey? Or is it is it a solitary journey? Maybe that's the question. Or, or does it require... Um, the support of, of many people. I mean, maybe it's both, right? Yeah, I would argue to an extent it's closer to being a solitary journey. Um, I think for me, it's just a lot of internal determination. Um, I'm uh, like, I'm just very hungry for success all the time. Um, and just trying to do the most to create value. I think like after, so I would consider this being my third venture Uber being the second, because it was kind of like the, the first, like my own startup in the country that I was doing. And I realized that um, just addicted to creating value. Um, and this is what has been pushing me the most, uh, just like literally creating value and seeing something uh, become something out of nothing. And maybe, maybe the fact that I used to play a lot of sports as a kid has probably contributed to that. Um, as a kid, like I've spent 12 years, literally between the age of six to 18, playing sports at the peak, like seven days a week. Um, and, and that made me become a very competitive person. Um, obviously in a healthy way, sometimes in sports, I mean, sometimes in sports (laughs) (laughs) when you lose, it's not that great. Uh, but it created a, a lot of sense of like competition and desire for like, success and achievement, uh, which has been pushing me nonstop. Mm. I love that analogy. I also played sports and I think that there are two very different people who grow up to be adults, <laughs> those who played sports and those who did not play sports, yeah. um, you know, cause it's also just about team dynamic and, and working collectively as opposed to like, you know, figuring out like how to move whatever it is, like the ball down the field, um, and, and be a defender and be an offender. Right. So it's just, it's an interesting analogy. So, uh, 
Hamdi, I want to talk a little bit about um, how much weight technical knowledge contributes to the start of a technology company, because I think that's a question that keeps coming up time and time again for people that maybe are not so technical. Um, you know, they're wondering, like, how can I start a company if I don't have, let's say, a computer science background or a programming background? And, you know, I'm just curious, like, how you navigate that and how or what advice you'd give to people who who might not have um a computer programming or, or computer science background? Yeah, yeah, very, very good question. Look, my humble opinion is that it's very difficult to do something without either technical knowledge or a partner that has technical knowledge. I mean, I started thinking about the ad tech space probably in 2017, just like high level thinking about it, knowing that at some point I want to go into ad tech. Uh, but I just like, kept on thinking of the idea and doing my own research until I found uh, the right co-founding uh, technical person, um, Hussein. So we're actually three three co-founders in the company. Hussein is our CTO and co-founder. And my other co-founder, ironically, used to be my direct competitor. Uh, he used to be the GM of Kareem at the <laughs> time when I was a GM of Uber. <laughs> but we, we all, I mean, despite the fierce competition, we actually became good friends. Um, but... Like having worked in tech and, and a company like Uber, people would think that I've developed like some tech background, but in reality, um, I don't know how to write code or like develop an architecture. And I feel that I always recommend uh, to founders or like potential founders that they share the pie with someone, um, if they're technical, to share the pie with someone who has strong um, business experience. And if they're like business oriented, to share the pie with someone um who can take care of things on the technical side, because if things pick up and the company becomes big, um, things become even more challenging. And definitely you would want someone to work with you, taking it from the ground up, I would say. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. And how do you find those people? Is it just in your network or is there a specific, I don't know, framework that you would tell people? Yeah, to I mean, from my personal yeah, my, from my personal experience, I think network has served me so much. Um, and and it's it's one of the things that I rely on the most. Um, today, I think like the 11-person leadership team on the company is comprised of people that we've managed uh, to get hold of uh, through the network, whether like first or second degree. Um, yeah, that's... I, I would advise anyone like looking for someone to just like tap on the network as much as possible and, and try to get referrals. That has helped the most, I think. Great. And so we're coming at time, but I wanted to ask you about your favorite books. <laughs> I love this question because I think it tells me a lot about, you know, what a person is spending their time on. And also I've actually read a lot of the books recommended by folks on the show. So I'm curious if you can answer this one of two ways. One is, do you have a, a favorite business book or maybe just any book? It could be even fiction that really contributed to the way that you see the world and, and your philosophy on, on entrepreneurship and, you know, being a business leader. Um, or what is the last book that you read? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for starters, I don't like, I, I, I don't read fiction at all. Um, <laughs> And my, my brothers call me that, like, they say I'm boring because I don't do that. <laughs> uh, but, I, like, the last time I read a fictional book was Harry Potter at the age of 10, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and the last book that I actually read or, like, I'm reading is Blink um, by Malcolm Gladwell. 
Um, I think so far it seems like a very good book. Um, Malcolm Gladwell is obviously very controversial in his writings, uh, but uh, very interesting. Um, I've also spent a good amount of time reading, which might sound boring, but very useful, um, the Harvard Business Review books. Um, I could probably say that I've probably read them all uh, because it's just filled, uh, like filled with uh, case studies that are real-life examples of stuff that happened, which you can take a lot of learnings from. Wow. That's great. I've yeah. never had anyone say that before. That's fascinating. Um, and it makes so much sense because there's just a lot of great case studies on what worked and what didn't work and how to navigate that. So excellent. Uh, so w- what's sort of like your main takeaway, Hamdi? Um, what would you tell our audience if, you know, if they're interested in the path of entrepreneurship or owning their own business or becoming a business leader, or even if they want to stay in the corporate world and just create their own path? Like, what would you, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, I want to try to say something that people don't always hear, uh, might be a bit difficult. Um, but I think that if someone has an idea to do something, literally just start, do anything, try it out, create an MVP, do an offline experiment, whatever it is. If you believe in something, just try it out. Doesn't mean that you need to quit your job immediately because very soon um, you will be able to get a sense of if things are picking up or not. Probably if I open up my Google Drive on my personal email account, I would literally find at least 12 different business ideas that I've thought of or tried with or experimented with during my career of 10, 12 years. Um, until like one of them actually picked up, um, after my first failed venture, I would say. Wow. Wow. That's inspiring. (laughs) Uh, so, so for everyone listening, um, go start that idea that you have, that's, uh, you know, powerful advice. And I think experimentation, right. Getting feedback from the market before spending so much energy and time is, is also critical. Cause I think a lot of people build products and then they don't actually know that if there's a market for it or if the pain point is big enough. So that's always what comes up. Um, so Hamdi, thank you so much for your time. Are there any resources that you can point folks to in order to learn more about you and Abwab? What's the website for Abwab as well? Yeah, uh, website is www.abwab.me. Um, and if you want to reach out to me, you can just find me on LinkedIn under my name, Hamdi Taba, and feel free to reach out anytime. I'd love to chat. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Hamdi. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals.